and I shared it with um, an auctioneering company next door, and we became good friends. And this was one of the techniques that he would do to get his lips moving for the auction. This guy was just, you know, hey, man, how are there now? Yeah, I can't do it justice, but he would go quick, and he taught me this one, and I found it here. It is uh, Betty Butter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter, but a bit of better butter will make my batter bitter. So she bought a bit of butter, better than her bitter butter, and she put it in her batter, and the batter was not bitter. So twas better Betty Butter bought a bit of better butter. Oh, hey. You can cut some of that out. Oh, we're definitely using that. It's a lot more sophisticated than toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. Hey, you got to start somewhere, buddy. Don't be hard on yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> How are things? Um, dude, it's been a marathon weekend day. I don't even know where to start, but I'm very excited about 2018. I'm just gonna put that out there, man. I'm very excited. You got some big time uh, goals and resolutions you're gonna start the year with yeah i do i don't know if they're big time i mean they're they're i'm not gonna be like yeah i'm running every fucking day 10 miles and da, 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 kind of a thing but i definitely have some things that i'm i'm excited about and some things that i'm gonna blow up this year and uh yeah i kind of i just had that i kind of had a you know it was a rough end of the year right i mean there's a lot of shit going on and so i went through some of that and then said hey what am I looking forward to? And yeah, I guess in a nutshell, I'll throw a few things out there, but I just got done. So I've been listening a lot to Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. He's Oh yeah, I know Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So I'm new to him and his philosophies, but I mean, the guy fucking love it. Like I'm just, first of all, I'm a, you know, regular, what's the term for like somebody who does it all the time? Dude, fucking filthy mouth, right? Like he's every third word's a cuss word. I mean, already we're going to be fast friends right? <laughs> love, okay. I love his presentation. I just think he's very authentic and raw and puts it all out there. But but yeah, I've been listening to him and getting a lot of inspiration from him. And I've you know, been taking a lot of his advice and saying, look, you know, like I've done this podcast with you now. We're going to blow it up this year. We're going to do some new things. But I also want to be doing other things in social media and maybe talking about other things that I've, I've avoided out of fear or I'm too scared, or what are people going to think? I mean, a lot of it's around what people think, and that bothers me. So yeah, I actually started working on a new project. Um, I haven't unveiled it officially yet, but I bought the domain, and I've got a blog ready to publish, and it's called um, The Year. It's not The. It's called Year 36 Project, year36project.com, and I'll send you a link. I'll say I have, I have a video. So anyway, I was recording a video today, and I had to do like 19... 20 takes because video is even a whole nother level of, you know, we do this audio thing and you slice and dice and you take out all the shit that I say, but I was going to do this in one take. So it took a lot of takes, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I got into it and I recorded it and I finished it and I just watched it on, on my TV and I'm pretty happy with it, but it's really just a personal, 
development blog for 2018. So what I want to do is I'm 36. And so the year 36 project is like one year of me sharing my personal growth and development. What, what is going well, what I'm struggling with, like not just all good shit, upside shit, but also like, man, I'm having a hard time dealing with things like my dad passed away last November. And, um, you know, I'm really f- worried about what people think and that kind of shit. And so it's kind of like a place where I can put all that because I don't want to just dump all of it on my personal Facebook feed for family and friends, but I want to put it here and people that are interested can check it out. Yeah, man, I like it. Uh, kind of a warts and all blog. I think that's a good idea. I don't think there's a lot of, a lot of people want to put out the good news, but really not the bad news. And I think there's a human element to that. And I think that's important. That's absolutely right. I don't think I, that's the best way to describe it. Warts and all, that's what it is. So, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I don't really have, it's kind of like this thing, right? I didn't set out to make X amount of episodes or have X followers. I'm just really trying to make it a personal development piece, get comfortable with a video. I got the green screen out. And so I was doing some green screen, you know, cool shit today, uh, ordered some more lighting and uh, we'll see what happens. Should be good. Unless you don't want to, we'll put a link in the show notes rather, and uh, people can check it out once it's uh, available and, and running. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm I'm all for it. I'm not holding back. It It's something that scared and terrified me for a long time. And now that we've taken the first step of doing this podcast, it's helped me to, you know, deal with some of my fears. And so I'm, I, at this point, I'm going to blow the lid off of it. I am curious, uh, kind of along the same vein, you started off talking about Gary Vaynerchuk. So back when I knew him, he was building a wine website and that was kind of his primary bread and butter. But I know he's very big into the podcasting or vodcasting world. Uh, what's he What's he doing now? Is he more of a marketing guru or what's his function at this point? Yeah, that's fair. He's a marketing guru. He has a, a parent company, VaynerX, and there's a few subsidiaries. VaynerMedia is his big company on the East Coast. It's in New York City. And he has, uh, as part of that, he has a couple... I mean, I like his perspective and and I actually have this for another, a topic for another time. So I'm not going to get all the way into it. But anyway, he's really good about knowing how to carve out your niche in different social media platforms. So how to really maximize your brand on all of them and how to treat each one a little differently. So that's kind of his niche. But yeah, his company works with the big Fortune 500 guys and uh, they do all kinds of social media strategy and marketing. But what I like about him is that he's also, um, providing a lot of value personally. And so when you look at his YouTube channel, he's got a couple different shows that are pretty regular, the Gary V show. I think it's the daily Gary V or it's, there's a couple of them and I'm going to mince the names, but, but basically one of the shows is a daily thing and he's got his camera crew following him around to his meetings and appointments and whatever the fuck eating Thai food in, in Manhattan. <laughs> and yeah, and he just like puts together a video of like, you know, kind of his highlight reel and it's inspirational and, and it's, he's meeting with people that are trying up and comers and that sort of thing. And it's just all free advice, right? Like he's not trying to, it's not the end, like click on my link to have us develop your social media. It's just like, Hey, like here's how I got to where I am. And here's kind of my brain, what I'm thinking about. And he puts it out there for people for free. It's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. He's come a long way then since, uh, his his little wine wine he I think he used to do wine uh, reviews I think that was kind of his first online video foray was wine reviews so. he talks about that and it's still there he doesn't own it anymore I think he sold it off maybe he has some ownership I don't think he's an owner though I think he got rid of it and kind of left when it was on top 
and now he likes being the underdog. He likes coming from behind, and so he kind of took. It was a combination of things. He had the success of that, and he invested some money in some stocks that it paid off, and then now he's going big on on this whole marketing thing, and it's cool. I, I recommend it. It's at Gary V V E E is his Twitter. And then I think it's YouTube and all that stuff. You can find it that way too, but it's good. It's really good shit. I've been amped up uh, listening to to him. Very inspiring. Cool. I'm going to check it out for sure. Let's uh, move on to some uh, follow-up and show notes, shall we? Let's giddy up. Uh, so the first bit of uh, show notes news here is that last week we went a little bit long with the personal stuff, partly because we were off for the month, but I think we both kind of felt that there was a lot of content uh, in terms of personal items rather than technology items, which I don't think either of us really care necessarily, but we thought maybe just kind of keep it fairly tech related during the the primary core of the show. And then we're going to add a post show after the the theme song um, where maybe we'll talk about some of these other items. So stay tuned for that after the show and uh, anything that uh, is non-tech related that we decide that we want to bullshit about try and queue it up there instead uh yeah anything else so stay tuned after that's the whole point of the story is stay tuned if you want to if you like our bullshit then you can get a free batch of bullshit afterwards if you stay tuned <laughs> a fresh batch fresh of shit Who doesn't want a fresh batch steamy a steamy heap if you will <laughs> <laughs> oh uh the only other piece of follow-up i had on there was uh Last week's show, I was kind of reviewing it here before we recorded this evening, and I noticed a couple times, I think you even made reference to it at one point, that the, uh, what is it, 8th Gen i7, we kept we referred to it a number of times as the i8, which is not correct. There is no i8. Right. i8 is not existent. It's the, the i is the generation of core, right? The different core processors, Intel processors. I believe that's correct. Yeah. So it's in at this point, it's the eighth generation i7, or as you referred to, I think in the show, KB Lake, I believe is what they're called. I think it's um, it's it's the eighth. I think seven i7 is KB Lake, and I think eighth is KB Lake Refresh or something to, along that line. Sounds like you're gonna look it up. Wow. This oh, this can't be fucking for real, dude. Talk about a strange twist of. Do you know what they call the eighth gen? chips i do not coffee lake <laughs> is that Get right the fuck out yeah it's eighth generation uh intel announced its latest eighth gen core processors and promising the new chips will offer 40 percent speed boost over the seventh gen kb lake but later ah here we go so okay so here i wasn't totally wrong getting announced today is a refreshed version of the kb lake architecture that makes up the seventh gen processors but later releases in the eighth gen will offer the upcoming 14 uh nanometer coffee lake and the 10 nanometer cannon lake technologies too so how about that we were talking about coffee the whole time we didn't even know about it well i think it sounds like you need to get yourself a coffee lake processor i mean it's really what i'm hearing that is exactly how I can pimp it to Dell over there. I mean, if I coffee code cast, I need a coffee lake. They're going to be the new Dell XPS 13s. I might as well get one or two to play with, don't you think? Yeah, I think we need to make that happen. All right. Well, I'm going to write those guys, man. We'll get on that right away. We're right on target, too. I mean, we're nailing it with the time today. Oh, yeah? We're about 16 minutes in. Well, good. 
we got a shitload to talk about still. We do have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So we can, I guess, start with, uh, you know, I have a bunch of people in the industry that I guess I admire. You know, we talked about Gary Vaynerchuk earlier. Uh, maybe that's a good example for you. Um, I had a number of those prior to moving to Seattle, especially, you know, you had kind of the Silicon Valley and the West Coast kind of tech sector, whereas in the Midwest, you don't have a whole lot of that. So I had a whole lot of people that I looked up to. And, and as soon as I moved here, I got sent to South by Southwest conference. And at that conference, I met a number of those folks and was kind of disappointed, I guess, uh, is the best way to describe it. You, you kind of build these people up in your mind as to being some kind of, I don't know, superhuman god coders, if, if they're coders or whatever they may be. You just kind of build them up in your mind to be something that maybe they can't live up to or they're not. And I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. So this is, I've had this happen now twice to me since I've moved to Seattle. So that was one example was a particular developer that, well, a number of developers that I followed who I met there and come to find out that they were just pretty much average run-of-the-mill guys. Um, they just kind of happened to be strong voices in the industry at the right time and kind of found a very niche, kind of like Gary Vaynerchuk again, they found a niche audience because they were a very strong voice and a strong advocate for a, a particular topic at the time that that topic happened to blow up. Why is it, do you think, because I'm with you 100%, I'll tell you what, when I made the decision to come to Seattle. Well, and I, I mean, you knew about that before anybody because we met together that summer before it was even really a thing. But but my insecurities and my fears about coming out to the big boy tech culture, I mean, I was just so terrified about coming out. What is it about, do you think, for you, like building these people up that way? Why, what is it, why is that the default I know, I know you're not alone in this. I feel this way. I think a lot of people I've talked to feel this way too. Is like when we are um, positioning ourselves in, in these settings and, and looking at sizing up the competition, it's very natural to prop them up to unrealistic levels that are superhuman. And, and for me at least, put myself in a very small place to go very low and just say, well, you know, I'm fucking stupid. I don't know anything that these guys know. What is that? What What is that about? Do you think for you? I mean, I don't know. It's very interesting how that's the default instead of the other way around or even a more moderate approach, which is like, Hey, we probably, he probably knows some shit that I don't. And I probably know some shit that he or she doesn't, which is more realistic, right? Insecurity. I would say for me, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person that's going to come out and, and come at anybody. I'm not the most, I wouldn't say I'm not confident. I just would say that I'm not, what's the word? Arrogant. I don't know. I don't I, I don't know. I can't think of a better word than that right now, but I don't know. Uh, I guess maybe I'm humble. Humble might be the better word. I know there's people out there that are stronger at me, stronger than me at, you know, any skill. I'm not, I'm not of the belief that I'm better than anybody at anything. To this particular topic, when people kind of speak on items that I very blatantly know are incorrect. Well, you're, I think I know what you're saying, though. This is different than what I thought originally. And so correct me if I'm wrong here. But what you're saying is it's not so much that you walk in the door feeling less than necessarily. What happens is, is that you walk in the door and you, you watch a presentation or you get to a one-on-one -on -one or you have a conversation with these guys and just their posture, the way they present themselves, 
is like such a level of confidence that you know like it you're just you just assume like wow they clearly know their shit just by the way they carry themselves or how comfortable they are in the subject matter or how even like if you didn't know any better like they act with certainty about the things they're talking about when in reality when you find out 3 or 6 months down the road maybe they they wow they didn't really know that shit they're just acting the part I think you hit the nail on the head and and what comes to mind now to kind of explain that is a little bit of what we talked about last week uh, on the show was that they speak with authority, whether or not they know what the hell they're talking about. They're speaking as if they do. Mm. Uh, and and a, another good example I can throw, on, throw out there is uh, at my wife's company. I know she struggles with the fact that there's a number of people at that company that do speak with a heck of a lot of authority and hold a ton of weight. And are kind of maybe not the, the the best people to be speaking, you know, on the particular topic at the company, but because they're perceived as so weighty, the other people don't give any kind of feedback or don't try to to rebut any of the points or anything like that. So, yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting at is just like this really authoritative uh, voice that I think it's easier to project that from afar in the example of you know us being in Omaha and and following people out here, you know, cause you have no, no way of knowing other than the, the voice that they're, or I guess the, the face that they're projecting out onto the internet. Right. Yeah, that's it. I agree with that hundred percent. I think for me, it's both ways. I think that there's a piece of that where, yeah, like I'm just going to trust, I'm going to inherently trust your authoritative nature and assume that you know what you're talking about. And that automatically puts me kind of on defense. Like, Ooh, I don't really know. I got to be careful. I shouldn't just challenge this person. Uh, I do think, though, for me, it's a real piece of just even showing up before I even have the conversation. I'm already assuming that I'm less qualified or don't know as much, or like I think I I think I have a little bit of that element too, which uh, it's pretty fucked up. I don't like that. I think you or I do in 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 interview situations that comes very very apparent to me as well. You know, I I feel very. Um... Not, I guess outgunned might be the, a good word because you, you don't know what's coming at you. So you, you already know they have an upper hand and you don't know what their skill level are. So y- you could be talking to them and they might just be thinking, this guy's a complete dumbass, but you have no idea. Nope. I don't know what the answer is for that. I can say, though, that just by practicing whatever it is, I think, um, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm kind of tripping over myself here, but I think. I think the more of those interactions that we can create, because that's the other thing too, right? Like how often does that happen? Like interview situations, generally speaking, don't happen very often. So that's already an uncomfortable thing. Some people I know just go out and interview just for the fuck of it every couple of months or something, you know? So it's like you get to do that enough times and I think you probably level the playing field. You just get more comfortable, more confident. I think it's just a confidence game. Like you do that enough times, you go to enough meetups, go to enough things where you're talking to other people and I don't know, maybe that's the solution over time. The the playing field gets leveled and you have more of a realistic sense of what's happening out there. Well, and I feel that I've become more confident in that respect in my job. I don't feel like when I come into something that I used to have a whole lot of insecurity about everything that I would say pretty much. I, I felt like I was bullshitting my way through job interviews or talking to other people, whereas now I'm pretty confident in what I say and I feel like I can talk with just about anybody about it and and speak with pretty good knowledge. So it's not really as big of an issue for me anymore. It's just in this case where I hear other people 
that I look up to or that I, in the second case, this guy is an iOS developer and, and, and has a pretty popular application that is used by quite a number of people. And you hear him talking about some of these things and you're just kind of shaking your head and wondering how the hell did you get to this place? Yeah. It is, it is the still a wild west of sorts. It's calming down now, but that is something about tech unlike other fields that are more uh, have more history, right? Like this is such a new and booming space and eh, not so new anymore, but it's still a place where you don't have to have a degree to get in a job. If you're really good, you don't you can skip the degree, and I think that that's part of it too is that it's still kind of this wild thing and and um and and sometimes because we're not the most extroverted bunch right? Like the people that are <laughs> the loudest and the most outspoken are going to be heard. And I think that's part of it too, is that we need to be more comfortable with who we are. Yeah. And I, I think that was the point that I brought up earlier is that the, some of the people that I followed and that, you know, that I met later on, they were loud voices that had a very confident voice at the, the right time in the right place. And so that's what got them there. And, and it just took me a while to find that out or to understand that, I guess. Yeah. So I think really, you know, as far as takeaways for this, you know, we're all just people, you know, even your, even your Scott Guthrie and your, you know, people that you may look up to, you know, they're all just people. Not Scott Guthrie. He's, he's Uberman. I get, I, really, <laughs> I get, I get nervous just saying his name. Oh my gosh. Ooh. Scott Goo. The old Scott, Scott Goo. Goo. Uh, we're all flawed. You know, everybody has their flaws, you know, even even though we're not confident, other people have the same types of insecurities or issues that they struggle with. Maybe not be, maybe it won't be their job and speaking their, you know, what they're doing full time, but it they have other insecurities that maybe you haven't exposed or you don't know about yet. That's well, certainly true. The more work experience that I've had, you, you go into the first job feeling a little inadequate or unsure and inexperienced, right? But then you realize pretty quickly, like, man, like these knuckleheads don't know what they're doing or they kind of fumbled around. And in every job you've got, you know, you, it's not even that they're necessarily, maybe I'm being a little harsh here. Not everybody's a knucklehead, but it's just that you realize how human people are once it's, once you see each other every day and, and spend a few years together and it's like, okay, if I can just realize up front that this is the way that most of the world works, then it doesn't have to be such a difficult uh, thing for me. The only other takeaway I had on that item is just, you know, that that oftentimes the people that, that seem to be in these positions, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk, as we mentioned earlier, you know, he was a video podcaster. He was one of the very first ones. So he was he was an early adopter. He was in the right place at the right time. And he's a good voice, right? He's a very good talker. He's a very good marketing guru. So he was in the right place at the right time and he made the most of it. Well, and the, and the making the most of it part that I've learned from him too is two things. There's two pieces to that, right? One, one is that you, oh my God, I just lost my fucking train of thought. One, <laughs> I almost did that earlier too. <laughs> oh boy, bring it back. Reel it in boys, reel it in. The two things, the two things that he had going for him, the two things that he did a was he learned how to be a great storyteller. And I think that's a big piece of this too, is like we we all have our storytellers. I mean, if we all want to have success at this thing, we all are marketers. We're all trying to market ourselves. We're all trying to make a pitch. Maybe it's not in front of a bunch of people on a social media channel. Maybe it's just the boss, or maybe it's just the supervisor or the lead or whatever. But we, you know, in order to be successful and have our best shot at it, we have to be 
learn how to become better storytellers. And I think it does help too. The second piece is not giving a fuck what other people think, which is easier said than done. But I think those two pieces right there, that's, a, that's how you get yourself up there and you get those risks to take. And that wasn't something that he always had. He said that like that was something that he had to figure out. But I think from a young age, he just didn't give a fuck what other people think. And that's a big part of it too. Like you get over that, then I think it's a lot easier to engage in a conversation with somebody. You're going to be less intimidated or less worried about saving face or getting it wrong or whatever. Um, if you know, you're talking to somebody that you idolize or look up to, it's like, Hey, I'm just having a conversation. You know, it's two dudes having a chat. And so I don't know. I think there's a big piece of that. And then I don't know, there was another piece of it too, with the social media thing. Well, and another item that I wanted to kind of mention back in a past role, I kind of I don't know how to even really explain as I self I self regulated my own work. And what I mean by that is that I wouldn't take on big, scary challenges in terms of what the company had going on. So maybe a good way to describe this is as soon as I came on to the current job, I began rewriting a lot of the uh, payment provider or was given access to a lot of the payment provider information, you know, through auth.net. Auth yeah which at the previous company was a huge no-no for me. I wasn't allowed to touch that because that deal dealt with money and could potentially you know, lose the company a ton of money if I made a mistake, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So during my entire tenure there, I kind of felt as though I was pigeonholed to doing strictly front-end work that was deemed fairly safe. And I never really requested or pushed to try and do a whole lot more. So I kind of just regulated myself out of challenging work or risky work as it might be perceived. Yeah. And so part of that again was goes right into this whole sa same conversation is that I wasn't confident enough to do it and I I didn't speak authoritatively on the subject so they weren't confident in me and so I never got the chance to do any of those things. Yeah, it's self-defeating, isn't it? Because we're not confident and don't present ourselves that way, all of a sudden it kind of erodes like that trust or the people are like, well, geez, you don't seem very certain about it and you're not saying a whole lot about it. So I think it's just kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. Um, and when we are confident and do put it out there, then all of a sudden those guys pick up on it and say, oh, geez, like we should give it to them, even if maybe that wasn't the right idea anyway, right? That's one of the things I appreciate about the current company is they, they're pretty pretty willing to let you run until you make a mistake, right? I mean, even when you make a mistake, they still kind of let you run, but they're just like, whoa, buddy. Yeah. Easy there. You know, they just kind of let you, they give you pretty, pretty good freedom, which I appreciate. But kind of back to the point is that you, you, you kind of self-regulate yourself and that's a good thing. You're not going to, chances are, unless you're a really good bullshitter, you're not going to run into something and be like, hey, I can do, you know, I can make the in this case, I will say I can make the website run 30 times faster. You know, well, bullshit. <laughs> like, prove you can't. You're, you the proofs in the in the in the doing, right? You you can't bullshit your way for too long. Eventually, you're going to be exposed. Yeah, it'll catch up with you. That's right. That's for sure. All right. Well, shall we move on to the news? What the fuck, dude? I just got a little. I didn't. You didn't hear mine ding, but I did get a little alert. Expect rain in San Francisco tomorrow. Oh shit. <sighs> <laughs> Fuck. I've only expe expected rain here since October two times. So I don't know what to do. I'm a little worried about that. Oh, man. How are you going to walk the dogs? <laughs> Shit. Fuck. Fuck. Never mind. Forgot I've lived in a Seattle uh, for five years and expected rain every day. Dude, there's some crazy shit going on in the news. 
some of this isn't new news, but it's it's big news. And so I think we should just cut right to the chase. And I want to talk about, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while now, is what's been going on around net neutrality. Um, and more, uh, more specifically, the legislation that was passed to uh, remove the net neutrality laws that were in place, basically rolling back uh, the net neutrality that was put in place originally. Well, it was first put in in '96, and then you know Obama revised that in in 2015. So it's been in place for a few years, and then yeah, repealed. What does it mean? Uh, is the internet going to shit? What's going to happen? That's what I want to talk about. Well, so if you're not familiar, which I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, but uh, net neutrality, what does it mean? It, uh, it means basically uh, equal priority for equal tra- for all traffic, right? It's kind of the uh, civil rights for the internet or something, right? Yeah, sure. It's like, you're not, you know, basically it's saying, look, as an internet service provider, you're not going to discriminate um, packets. When I request a packet for Netflix versus a packet for a Costco order or Amazon, that they're all treated equally, um, that not, that they don't speed one up or slow one down. And so, yeah, like this, the repeal of that has some implications. Maybe some of them are crazy, but some of them seem far more realistic, and it's kind of a scary thought of what could what could happen if if it's allowed to stay. Uh, this is allowed to be upheld. Right. So I think the, the, you know, everybody has the alarmist attitude. And the, the first thing that you see online is these kind of images that show, oh, if you're on Comcast, you know, they're going to slow down Netflix and you, they'll give you Hulu, but you'll lose uh, Amazon Prime or, you know, you'll get faster speeds with this one, but not that one or those types of things, kind of making it almost sound like the cable companies where you, you know, subscribe to this package and get these things or subscribe to these packages and get these things. Well, I mean, that is certainly possible. They, they do have the control to do that, but I think it's not in their best interest to do that. And I think that's also a pretty alarmist attitude that, that we're kind of portraying out there. Um, I don't really think that's going to happen. However, I do believe that throttling is going to occur. Um, I did work back in the day. My first job was with a little rural ISP in Nebraska. And I, I do understand why the ISPs want this to be the way that it is uh you know you do have consumers who are very very abusive against your services um you have a a limited pipe so i mean you could even think of it as a pipe you know that you have in your house like it has a it has a, a maximum flow rate you can't expand that flow rate at all right i mean so there's a maximum amount of data that they can put through a pipe and people abuse those things and they need to be able to throttle them in some way if they're overusing. And that's that's their main argument that they're trying to put put through. But of course, you know, people are thinking that they're going to use it for more nefarious and greedy purposes. Yeah, it becomes a problem when you do have that user or group of users. I know back in the day when AT&T had grandfathered data plans, unlimited data, right, for life. Well, we, that wasn't exactly for life, but at the time it would look really cool. And so I was on one of those for a while, but then, you know, my buddy was one of the, my buddy had gotten hit up a couple of times too for, you know, streaming all the video streaming he was doing on his uh, cellular network was just hogging the pipe. And so um, even him, like he had gotten kicked off at one point point. they just said, look, you know, like you're, you're violating the terms of service. And I don't know how they, they had some legal jargon to protect it, even though it was unlimited. I mean, he was consuming so much 
uh, of the pipe that um, you know they couldn't just have him doing that anymore because everybody else's speed was suffering. So we don't want that to happen. I mean, that is a real thing. I was just reading a story recently about you know with streaming services, you've got ESPN app on on Apple TV and on PlayStation View, right? You got these different. You can if you have someone's Xfinity or Comcast account credentials, you can log in to ESPN using those credentials and watch streams. And so they limit those. I think on ESPN, you can have maybe five or something like that um, logins um, at a time, simultaneous. But there was, before they started to tighten that up, I think HBO, somebody had like 30,000 streams from one account. (laughs) Can you imagine like 30,000 shows running down the pipe at the same time? You know, I mean, that's just the kind of shit they're trying to protect, right? Yeah, exactly. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a, a proponent of what they're, trying to get at or get through, you know, I'd rather the laws remain the way they were, but I was just trying to, I guess, state the case that the internet tends to be very alarmist. The people that speak very loudly are speaking usually the worst case scenarios. And in this case, I think that is a pretty worst case scenario that I don't think is going to occur. Well, I do have some problems with it. I do have some concerns, you know, I don't like the idea there was some language in the, in this, um, you know, this legislation that said something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like, we're just going to kind of like, you know, in a good faith kind of effort, we're going to trust the ISPs that quote, do the right thing, you know? And I, I don't like that either because I think without any kind of regulation or restriction, it can get really slippery slow pretty quickly. And I was doing some research on this and I don't know if you're familiar, but in a few places, like the big example right now is Portugal, for example, who has, um, doesn't have any net neutrality. And so it's very common if you go to a ISP in Portugal and you try to sign up for service, you're not going to get kind of a, you know, like here in the States, it's like, oh, you pay X for five gigs, you pay X amount for 10 gigs or 15 gigs of bandwidth. You can pick how big of, of a pipe you want, how much of the pipe you want going to you. And okay, that's fine. I can pay more for more bandwidth. That seems fair. But there, it's a whole different deal. So you're actually bundling apps. And so it's things like if you want to have Pandora or streaming music, then you pay $5 a month. And if you want to have email access to these five email providers, that's $5 a month. And so there it's very much um, a package, you know, putting these packages together. And maybe if you need five different packages just to do what you normally do on the net, and each of those packages comes with its own bandwidth restrictions. Well, you get five gig of email. Or you get 15 gig of streaming video. And if you run out, then you got to pay more, right? So I think, I think that's what I'm hoping doesn't happen, but that I, I'm worried that that could, that kind of thing could, could possibly happen. Another kind of counterpoint to that, it's similar, but it's a little different. It's a term that I, it was new to me when I was researching this, but zero rating. You're familiar with zero rating, but this is, this is basically the idea where now, um, Let's say that Netflix strikes up a deal with Comcast and says, hey, look, uh, I think T-Mobile did this already, that T-Mobile had that binge on package. That's right. If you're on T-Mobile and you want to watch Netflix, you can do so and it's not going to count against your data plan. So what if I'm Coffee Codecast Flix and I want to start up my own streaming movie service, you know, in this case, 
I'm not going to get any exposure. I mean, there's already a, it's unfair competition, right? Because now like if you're on T-Mobile, there's no fucking way you're going to pay data to watch the show on my service, even though maybe it's faster or higher quality, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough decision because you're going to want to use the free ones. Like, well, I only have a limited data plan and, and if I can get Netflix for free, it's good enough, even though maybe it's not as good as your service, I'm not going to pay for it. So that kind of unfair competition or unfair advantage, I think, is already happening. And that and that makes me a little uncomfortable too. I don't want to see that. And so I'd like to see that be tightened up a little bit more. I'd like to see more regulation on, on stuff like that. Well, and the other big scary argument is that Comcast is one of the big players here, right? And they own a whole bunch of smaller companies under their umbrella. So in theory, they could uh, prioritize traffic to their own properties whereas they might limit to everything else, that sort of thing. So they'd become kind of a monopolizing figure a little bit. So that's another big uh, scary point that people like to tout, which certainly could happen. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that sort of behavior uh, go on. So I agree. I think it's a scary thing. And I think I think they need to roll back the legislation that they've now changed again. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully maybe, hopefully maybe uh, in a couple of years that can happen. Yeah, I think there's still some there's still some sites out there. I I don't know this for a fact, but I know that Oliver, you know, John Oliver was a big voice in this whole debate three years ago or two years ago when they were trying to repeal the first time, and they, he was back out again earlier last year with and I know there was a site like GoFCCYourself.com, <laughs> okay. a site um, that led straight to the FCC kind of like complaint page where you could go and, and fill that out, and I know. There are people doing petitions. I don't know, though. Like, I don't have those resources right now. So maybe I could find those. We could add them later. But, but it, you know, I would say, yeah, let it be known. Call the representatives. Fill the protest. Do what we can to try to reverse that and have something that's a little more fair. I mean, I do understand too that in principle, like this is this was ta- attached to, you know, net neutrality was originally attached to legislation from 1934 that dealt with telephony. So it's you know. That's probably not the right answer either, but we need something in between and, and we're not there yet. Yeah, it, it needs to be treated as a public utility. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs fair access to it. It just needs to be a widely distributed thing, just like electricity is or, uh, you know, gas is or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, imagine somebody gave the example too, is like if your your utility of water, you know, like water works the same way, pipes a certain size and you can only have so much at a time, so much flow. But imagine now that you have to pay you know, a certain rate for watering the lawn and a more expensive rate for taking a shower and like an even higher rate to fill a pool. And all of a sudden now, like you're consuming the same quantities of water, but you're paying different rates depending on the usage. And that's the sort of kind of consequence that we'd be up against here is is paying different rates for different things based on what an ISP sets to throttle or, or whatever. Well, you live in California now. You should be uh, used to Getting rear-ended by water usage. Well, we just don't have any here, man. So you know, <laughs> we don't have. We got plenty of fire. We can. We, that's that's a commodity that everybody <laughs> can get their hands on. Water is a different story. So yeah, it's pretty bad. And marijuana now after January first. Hey, I heard about illegal, that. Legit. Congratulations. Yeah, man. I was gonna get in line, but apparently the places downtown aren't open yet. So I don't know if that's the sixth or something. I think, but uh, yeah, I'm. I got. I'm still dealing with my uh, remnant stash from Seattle. I got to make it last a little longer, a few more days. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking a man. Why are we talking about these guys again? Every time we have an episode, I feel like we're talking about these guys, and it's not always in a pretty light, Kyle. Who uh, you're going to do the Apple story? 
fucking Apple again in the news with this battery bullshit. The conspiracy theories, they're true. They're sort of true. Yeah, there's a, there's a half truth there. There's a half truth there. Why don't you tell me more about it, Kyle? Well, a Redditor uh, happened to do a number of tests uh, against his iPhone devices. Primarily, I believe it affects the iPhone 6s and maybe into the lower 7 models, uh, where that Apple was intentionally uh, slowing down the OS for older devices with weaker batteries is what the story amounts to. Sons of bitches. <laughs> uh, for good reason, though. The, the, the reason that they're doing this was that they, as they release new OS versions that are more um, power hungry uh, on the particular phone models, and now you have an older phone with a slower processor and so forth, as it does these uh, higher battery usage operations, the iPhone 6s had the possibility of just flat out shutting down like the, the the battery could no longer handle that kind of load at one time and so the, the phone would just like black out and turn off in which case you'd have to restart so what they were trying to do is to prevent that behavior however they got in a lot of trouble because they didn't notify the user that that's what was happening or that they were doing this at all uh, so it's a bit of a trust issue yeah, and it really begs the question, too, like, what's going on with these fucking batteries, right? Because, you know, Samsung, LG, Motorola, these guys all came out saying, look, we don't fuck with the battery life. We don't do anything to throttle the performance of the phone. All batteries, all lithium-ion batteries have the same degradation issues, right? Like, over time, over after many charges, they're going to they're gonna suffer. Their performance is going to go down. They're not going to hold as much as they used to. The, the voltages are going to go down. I'm not an electrical engineer, but these are just things that I've seen is as like, you know, the performance of the batteries over time, they get worse, not better. But but why Apple is choosing to throttle these things and not even that, I guess I understand why they're doing it. But my question is, why are they the only ones having problems with shutdowns? I don't know how many Samsung, LG, Motorola phones just shut off after two years. I haven't heard lots of reports of that. Maybe we'll hear more about that as the story develops. But it seems very curious to me anyway why this is what seems to be like a unique problem to Apple and not some of the other manufacturers. Are they just making shitty batteries? Do they cut some corners? Is it, uh, you know, are there some flaws that need to be corrected? I don't know. But it's very interesting to say the least. Well, and, and I do feel like it's a little bit of a cop out because I feel like rather than just limiting battery performance, why wouldn't you? just you know cap peak usage for instance right like if it's if it's drawing a, a very high usage like you should be able to on a scale understand the usage of the the, the device instead of like just globally saying this this device now runs at 60 percent. like you should be able to scale that down at the highest end right rather Seems than like a blunt instrument just to say well your cpu is going to be throttled to 50 percent now right exactly mm, yep well that's true too I mean, it sure makes me want to go out and buy a new one every time my fucking phone's <laughs> running at 50%. Well, you need to get the $1,000 iPhone 10, of course. Ooh, that's a pretty phone. It's a sexy beast. The battery's going to suck after a couple of years, though, but as long as you can deal with that, then I'd say throw 1000 bucks over their way. Well, the good news is that Apple, the good people at Apple have uh, now put a program in place where you can get your battery replaced for the low cost of $29. $50 off, by the way, it used to be $79 for that replacement. And they lifted the restrictions on it too. I think you had to have 
a certain, uh, you know, you had to pass a certain test. The battery had to be beyond a certain lifespan before they would do that for you anyway. Yeah, you would go in and if you've ever been to an Apple store and had a problem, you, they plug a device into your lightning port and they run a whole slew of diagnostics and get a report out. So before it was that you had to have a failed diagnostic from that device in order for them to replace the battery and now they've lifted that restriction. Sweet. So in theory, you can go bring your other, you know, previous four generations of iPhone back <laughs> and for 30 bucks a pop, get a new battery. And they'll run as fast as the iPhone 10. That's pretty damn cool, man. I like that. I mean, you know, I used to keep a few of those laying around for my backup, you know, Apple TV remote kind of a thing or put on some music in the background. So maybe I'll have to go digging through and see if I can find some old ones laying around. So, yeah, that's uh, the Apple story. I, I mean, I don't know, really, you know, it made a lot of headlines and a lot of people are upset about it. But, uh, you know, on the one hand, I understand why the Apple did what they did. Uh, they just did a very, very j poor job of communicating why they were doing it and, you know, that it was happening, period. So I think if they would have made people aware of that, I think it probably wouldn't have been a story at all. But unfortunately, it is what it is. Lots of lawsuits, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of litigation going on for a while, so it'd be fun to see. We'll keep you all posted on, on what's going on as we get get the developments, but we'll be interested to see what comes out of this whole thing. All right, Chipper, well, what's coming up next on the show? That ties into our next week's teasers. We've got the Consumer Electronics Show coverage uh, up in Vegas next week. CES can be going on from the 7th to the, what, 13th or so? It's that week. And uh, always lots of coverage there, lots of new unveilings. I already know some of the some of the teasers coming out of there are, are going to be uh, in the Ultra Books, as we talked about last time. Some new developments there. There's some new um, television technology, OLED uh, displays, and that sort of thing. I think LG has an 88 inch OLED 8K or something Damn. ridiculous, and it's going to show. Yeah, it's just nuts. I mean, they always bring out the craziest shit for these things. So it'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about some of the new products that get unveiled. Um, you know, I got a couple other things out there. I, I, uh, I, I, as I mentioned earlier on my, my little personal project, I, I needed a site. And so I did a static site generator, um, Hugo. I don't know if you're familiar with Hugo. It's the Golang, it's a Golang language, um, static site generator. Pretty cool. I got it set up with Visual Studio Code, and I'm actually running it on the Google Cloud. Um, I was having trouble. I was it has Azure integration, so I thought, oh, this is cool. I'll get it up on Azure, and you know, I don't want to talk too much shit about my friends at Microsoft, but I couldn't get it to run on Azure the way it was supposed to. It was a uh, container, and um, so I said, fuck it. I'm going to put the container on Google. So I'll talk about that next time. Oh, before you do it, though. I'm waiting for those people to act, but I basically submitted the request for coffeecodecast.com on Libsyn. I did see that. I saw the email. So hopefully by the time, maybe even by the time this is published, www.coffeecodecast.com will be live for your viewing pleasure. Love it. I love it. Bring us home. Well, you know what? Fuck it. Let's, uh, let's just uh, ax that part off. Do we need it? Do we need to repeat, repeat ourselves? I don't think. We always say that shit. Nobody cares. There you go. If you want to contact us, figure out how to contact us. There you go. Bitches. If you are out there listening, though, let us know. Like, Reach out to us. Uh, contact us. Bitch at us. We don't care. Yeah, I'd like something. I'd like to hear something from somebody.
Tweet at us. Email us. Hit us up on the website, Facebook, whatever. We're everywhere. Oh, I want to shout out to another one of our fans. You know, I heard from David this week. You saw David's comments on Facebook. I did see David's comments, yeah. How fucking cool is that? David was a co-worker and a good friend and, and a developer up here in Seattle. And, um, you know, it'd be fun to share his story at some point or have him share it. Maybe he can come on and share it for us. But anyway, he's he's now fast forward a year down in Austin, Texas, and... Uh, Shared with us that his Saturday morning uh, Wheaties uh, breakfast is enjoyed with a little Coffee Codecast episode. Yeah, he has coffee with the Coffee Codecast. Yeah, what a what a great! I really appreciated that. It was nice to hear that. Uh, hear from those guys down there, and uh, glad to know that we're on the Saturday morning ritual. Yeah, it would be good to have them on. We should uh, we should definitely we should arrange for a. Uh, an on-air guest here. We haven't done that yet, and we've got a lot of people that we've talked to about it. Yeah, I've got a I've got a short list, man. I know that I want to get the the Tarifkin on just because I want to get closer to Scott Goo, man. That's kind of one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> it's not there. You go. I mean, I'd like to hear from Aaron, but I'm really trying to get to Scott Goo. So, I, no offense, but it's just like it's kind of a means to an end kind of a thing <laughs> for me. So, you know, we'll see if we can work that in. Okay, well, post show. What do you got? Onward and upward to my favorite part of the show, the post show. What do I want to talk about in the post show? Well, I do want to talk about this really quick. I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say. So if I don't know, do you want to go first, or do you want me to just like get this one out of the way? I don't think it'll take me very long. Yeah, well, I mean, I I just 
beginning of the new year, it wasn't really a new year's resolution. We kind of had already talked about it, but I started running, uh, these last couple of days. So the last two days here, I've both nights I've gone out and I've run pretty slowly, but I've gotten it done and I've run 40 minutes or so. And I've gotten, I don't know, three and a half miles in something like that. Pretty slow, but I'm doing it. And that's the important thing. Anyway, so I'm listening to podcasts on the run and Jillian Michaels show is usually what I'll end up listening to. I've listened to her for quite a number of years. Uh, She has her own podcast and she was talking about fasting on this most recent one, which I thought was interesting because I think way back in show, was it number one? We talked about that. We did. It's been a little while. Yeah. It was, is an earlier one. Yep. Right. So it was interesting to hear from her because she's traditionally been fairly against it because she's a very, very um, worried basically about like your metabolism slowing down and, and you're not burning the calories that you need to burn if that's, if that's your goal. Um, but in this particular episode, she talked to a, I think his name was Dr. Axe, A-X-E. Um, and he, and she was talking to him about it and he basically was telling her that it's not a problem. It's actually a pretty good thing to, um, not necessarily lose weight. He said it wasn't really necessarily a great weight loss vehicle. He was saying it was more a, um, bodily repair vehicle like it gives your body a good opportunity to repair itself and to regenerate itself and and those sorts of things he said that you know weight loss may be somewhat of a byproduct but he's like that's that's really not probably what it's going to be for um he also recommended that maybe uh at max you do it 30 to maximum 90 days um because then they started kind of getting into the whole ketosis conversation which is i think kind of a side product of fasting and uh basically you're saying that the ketosis state when your liver is creating ketones effectively you're you, you know it's very hard on your liver to do that on uh, at a really you know on a consistent basis over a long period of time so he was oh, recommending overnight after, he was recommending after 90 days to cut it out and then to kind of go to a more balanced normal approach to a diet just because it's stressful to your liver that's very interesting. I have to look into that a little bit more. I know just from what you were saying, though, about the cell death and, and regeneration, there was a lot that I had read about in fasting that, yeah, like autophagy, I think is the scientific term, happens um, when you have more of a prolonged fast for more than, say, overnight, you know, if, like from dinner to breakfast. If you can go a little longer, then the longer you're there at some point, that autophagy process kicks in and, and it, your body basically will kill off those bad cells that are damaged from toxins and that sort of thing. And it's a cleansing process. So I've, I've heard that. Yep. Heard she that mentioned a lot about anti-aging, you know, that it's, uh, you know, uh, basically she was indicating that your body doing digestion effectively aids you, uh, ages you. So if you're in fasting mode, you're not, your body's not focused on digestion it can focus on essentially cell repair or, you know, self-healing. Uh, and that's kind of what, what she gets out of it, I guess, which is, which was interesting for me to hear because she was traditionally, I, w- I wouldn't say totally against it, but she was very skeptical. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I don't know. I got, I got to take a look at that a little bit more. That's interesting. So what do you got on the post show here? So, yeah, this is a little different, but <laughs> I was uh, just chilling over the holiday weekend and looking for some new, looking for something just to entertain me, really. And I, I really like ESPN. I don't know if you watch many of these, but they've done a really good job with their thirty on thirty. So yes, I love thirty um, for thirty. 
Oh, they're so good. Oh, 3430. Thank you. Yeah. Like I even called it wrong, but basically, yeah, like they, they do a great job and I was hooked this past summer. I mean, I, I watched that five part OJ series, which I would highly recommend. Um, yeah, whether or not you, you know, were, you know, I, I mean, in the nineties, we were all glued to the TV, watching the whole trial and all that shit. And the, the Bronco being chased down the four Oh five. Um, who doesn't remember that? But, but anyway, more so than about the OJ coverage, it was really a historical, uh, you got a lot of the history of race relations in, in the sixties and seventies in LA and, and kind of the whole, they do a great job of setting a context around the whole thing. And so I loved that five part series. Anyway, can't recommend that enough. Check it out. If you have, I mean, you gotta have some time. Seems like <laughs> six hours, eight hours, something like that. Yep. I think the whole idea between those or about those films is it's third. I think it's 30 different directors or producers. I can't remember which, and I don't remember what the other 30 is, but the, the, the 30 for 30 has uh, significance. Um, but yeah, I've been watching those for a while, probably, I don't know, a year maybe at this point. Uh, and the, one of the more recent ones was a, was a, 30 for 30 on, on Ric Flair's life. So if you're familiar with the, with uh, wrestling from back in the day, when I was a kid, I was a big wrestling fan and oh, I, thought, I, didn't I, know thought, that. I thought Ric Flair was pretty cool shit. And, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily like emulate him or want to be him or whatever, but anyway, I knew of him and he was very prominent, obviously in, in wrestling. And they did a really, really interesting, uh, piece on Ric Flair's uh, career and all his women that he, you know, hung around with and you know kind of kind of the same as your uh video too like he they kind of warts and all you know they tell, tell about his drinking and his drugs and you know all the ladies that he was with and his you know failed mar marriages and all that sort of thing so it's it's really interesting and uh kind of heartfelt because you know at the end of the show he's kind of a broken down dude who you know he can't wrestle anymore which was his only love you know he doesn't have anybody left really in his life because he's kind of alienated everybody. So I don't know. They're all very powerful. They're very well done. Yeah, I would definitely, to your point, recommend uh, 30 for 30 if you're not watching them. Yeah, I've watched a handful now, and I haven't watched that one, so I definitely want to check out the Ric Flair. But I, I have to say, in all of this, the, the cases that I've watched these, then maybe they're talking about um, a basketball, maybe they're profiling like Jordan, you know, or whatever sport or whatever athlete it is, even though maybe I'm not a really big baseball guy, like they've all been very uh, educational, very entertaining and hard to put down. Um, and I guess the one I was going to tell you about the one I saw over the weekend. So I, I watched one on Mike and the mad dog, which I really only turned it on because my name's Mike and my nickname used to be the mad dog when I was back in high school. Oh, so thought, now you're the chipper. Now I'm the chipper. I've retired the mad dog. I hung him up and I'm the, uh, well, he's still around for the in certain circles, but uh, but yeah, definitely the chipper now. But no, it, it, this was great, and I had not heard of these guys. It shows how um, out of tune I am um, in in the sports arena. But Mike Francesca and Chris Russo, and that whole story about these guys who were just a fucking dynamic duo in sports broadcasting in New York in the '90s, late '80s, '90s, and I think they've been off now for. I think it's sometime in 2000s, like 2002 or eight. I can't remember when they they went off the air, but 
but just a powerful duo in the in the whole story. It was very interesting. It reminded me of of my aspirations, Kyle, with the code and coffee, coffee and code cast. Like these guys were just kind of doing like their own thing and doing their own shit, and not really a whole lot going on. And then all of a sudden they were forced to be together. They didn't even really want to work together. They both had their own gigs going on in sports broadcasting. And uh, once they figured out kind of their their flow and their rhythm and how to work together, um, people just fucking loved it. The chemistry between them and and just like the banter back and forth. And, you know, it was gritty and it was fucking New York sports. And and um, I mean, it went from like 10th in the, in the charts one year to, to first place in sports radio, which is just crazy because that's already a competitive space. But uh, yeah, anyway, it got me dreaming a little bit about the Coffee Codecast. And I thought maybe one of these days, you know, we'll be a dynamic duo on AM radio or FM radio or <laughs> internet radio. Maybe on Sirius XM, we'll get our own channel, Coffee yeah, Codecast. You, you talk about the daily, the daily Coffee Codecast. You wanted to do that for a while. I mean, that would be that would be just fucking unreal. I think like a daily Sirius XM radio show for tech. We're just doing tech. People call in all day, every day. I don't know. These guys were doing it. Their show was four hours long, five hours long every fucking day. Wow. And, you know, it was interesting. I mean, the progression, when they started doing it, they were looking at the newspapers for inspiration. By the time that they really were at their peak, they were they were uncovering stories. They were making trades happen, bringing people in. Like Mike Piazza, they brought in just by getting their fan base to, to rally to bring him in, you know? So it was just kind of cool, the influence that they had. And it's unfortunate how it ended, you know, how they how they fell apart, but really cool story. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be on Sirius XM doing some tech talk. <laughs> a couple of other uh, 30 for 30s that I just, I was looking through the episode list here and a couple other ones that I would highly recommend. Uh, one of them was called Chasing Tyson. Uh, that one was basically following, uh, I want to say, was it, yeah, Holyfield and Tyson. So um, talking about all of... Um, the time that was spent trying to arrange the fight between those two. It was really, really interesting. Another one that I thought was really good because I was always intrigued by the dude just because he was kind of a weird guy in the sport was uh, one about John Daly. It's called Hit It Hard. Oh, I've heard about that. John Daly, the golfer, the crazy alcoholic. I mean, he was a fucking character. Yeah, he was quite the guy and he had a mullet and he was just kind of a weird dude for the sport. You know, he wasn't the typical buttoned up, you know, uh, country club going guy, you know, he was ah, very, uh, no very kidding. rough around the edges. Yeah. So talks about his life, which is really interesting. And he's had a really rough life and a really hard life. So pretty interesting there. Wow. And the other one that I thought was pretty cool was, uh, an- another one that was called, this was the XFL, which was pretty interesting to watch. Cause I had already forgotten about the fo- the XFL league. <laughs> no, I don't really know a whole lot about that. That was supposed to be what some other kind of like a minor league to the NFL or something, or what the hell was that? I don't even they know. were pimping it to be another NFL competitor. It was uh, actually Vince McMahon, which is the owner of WWE. And he was going to create, you know, a more exciting, more electric football league, you know, where they, I think they had stuff like the kickoff return had no, or punt returns had no fair catch for instance you couldn't so you had to take a hit or get killed you know just get killed or you know and then they had uh to, i think instead of a coin toss they had like a scrum at the beginning so they would like roll the ball and your two fastest guys would have to like run after it and dive and whoever got the ball won type of thing you know stuff like that so it's pretty interesting god damn dude okay 
Yeah. I mean, I I could spend a whole week. Too bad I don't have a holiday coming up. I kind of blew it. I didn't do a whole lot of TV watching over Christmas and New Year, but now I wish I had more time to watch some of these 30 for 30s. They're good shows. I recommend them. Yeah. That's all I had. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap this one up. I don't think so. I think that's all the bullshit that I have to talk about. There's only so much bullshit one can talk about in a day, you know? Beep.